Amen. I'll give your attention to the reading of God's Word. I have three short passages that will uh, give the theme to the uh, sermon this morning. <clears throat> the first is Matthew chapter 13, the end of all of the parables that are recorded there. This final parable is given by Jesus in, in verse 51. Jesus said to them, have you understood all these things? And they said to him, yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things new and old. And then Luke chapter 24, after Jesus' resurrection and on, on the road to Emmaus, as he sits down with those disciples and then is found with the, the disciples at the end of chapter 24, he writes, uh, or Luke records, Jesus said to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was with, still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued, endued with power from on high." And then finally, Acts chapter 2, the first four verses. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven, as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let us pray. Our God and Father, let your word bring forth treasures new and old, as Jesus promised. Do so in the preaching and in the receiving of your word. Bless us not only with the presence of your Holy Spirit as he opens our mind to understand all things, but to comfort us, to assure us, and to lead us and guide us that we might walk according to your ways. Do so now this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Please be seated. Well, happy Pentecost to you. Pentecost is the only Old Testament festival that the church still, at least historically, has celebrated. All of the other festivals um, are, are really fully consumed or fully brought in um, into, the, into the life and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus, as is Pentecost, and yet the church has regularly celebrated Pentecost because the church was basically baptized that day. The church was recognized as a new covenant people in the outpouring of that spirit. It was a pouring out um, over the old age and bringing in a new age that was ushered in. It was the baptism of the church and it was the beginning of the new creation. A new temple was being built that very day. A new temple was being built. It was being erected by, by the Holy Spirit with, um, with living stones by that spirit where living water would flow out to all the world. The Old Covenant history and purpose of Pentecost is really fascinating to study. What we find is that there are many facets to this festival, like, like looking at a, a well-cut jewel, well-cut diamond. You can turn and see all many different colors of this same diamond, but, but uh, understand and enjoy so much different aspects of the glory of that gem. So as you study Pentecost, there's so many facets to see, to, to learn from in terms of what God is declaring, what God is showing forth in this great festival. 
preaching on Pentecost um, by a scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. That's in, that's in that parable that Jesus give this, this phrase. Uh, he says, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. Every scribe who was instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven and, and knew this. Uh, this is the only time that Jesus uses the word scribe in a way that he's talking about actually faithful believers. Usually he's talking about scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you, you, you have all these things written down, but you don't understand anything, you, you have it all wrong. But here in this parable, he talks about a scribe. A scribe is a, is a teacher, one who has responsibility for God's word. Okay, so this scribe, but this is a scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven. Well, he is able to reveal Jesus says, things new and old, which are brought out of the treasure house of God's word. They are able to describe and bring forth treasures from the house of God, things that are new and things that are old. And the, and the picture seems to be of this idea of the old covenant is not, uh, is not fully and completely um, set aside, but rather fulfilled. Jesus said, not a jot or tittle will be uh, taken away from the, from, the, from the law of God. I have not come to, to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill the law. Well, how does he fulfill the law? Well, he explains to them on that, on that uh, last day before, uh, well, last day recorded in, in the Gospel of Luke, where he says that this, he opened the disciples' minds and understanding as he went through the Old Covenant, as he went through the Law and the Prophets and the Psalms, showing them that the Scriptures had taught all that he had accomplished, that he was to come, that he was to die for their sins, that he was to be raised again for their justification, and that, he says, soon he, was, he would ascend, where he would reign over all of heaven and earth at his Father's right hand. And there he said, I promise I'll send you a helper, an advocate. I'll send you the spirit who will come and, and make all things new. And so this is, what he, uh, this, is, this is what he was promising at that time. And so, as, as the book of Acts records, that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. So, uh, a, a simple understanding of how to apply the, the parable of Matthew 13 is that Jesus, uh, Jesus did what, what, Matthew, what he said he was going to do in Matthew 13, that he was a scribe, well instructed, and then he brought forth things old and new. He brought things, forth things new and old as he showed the many facets of the promises of Scripture um, in, uh, in the Old Testament being fulfilled in the new, be, being fulfilled in this new covenant. This is, this is because the Old Testament reveals to us much of what uh, the New Testament is teaching. We actually need the Old Testament to understand some of what is being taught in the New. But also we can see that the New Testament is the inspired, inspired commentary for us on the Old. It teaches us how to understand the things of the Old Covenant. The word Pentecost um, is not found in, in the Old Testament. The, the word Pentecost is, is, a, is a Greek word. It means 50th. just simply means 50th. And it was, it was, so Pentecost was called the Pentecost because it was the 50th day. It was the 50th day counting from the Sabbath following Passover. So in the Old Covenant, you had the day of Passover was established. And then after Passover, on the, from the day of the Sabbath, which would have been a Saturday, from the day of that Sabbath, you would count 50 days. And at 50 days after that, you would celebrate um, uh, Pentecost. Okay, so um, in, in, in the Old Testament, it had two names. It was called the Feast of Weeks and the Feast of the Harvest. Um, it, it, was, it was never referred to as Pentecost in the Old Testament writings. It was uh, in the Old, Old Covenant days. Um, the, there wasn't a change of name that took place just on that date. Everybody knew that was Pentecost. 
But so here's what it was. It was, it was called the Feast of Weeks because it was seven, seven weeks. It was seven weeks of seven days plus one. Seven weeks of seven days plus one. It was the first day after sevens. Now, in the Old, Old Testament, there are several what are called eighth-day Sabbaths. So these are Sabbaths, these are extra festivals, and rather than being on the Sabbath, they would be an eighth day or a first day of the week Sabbath. They were pointing to something. They were pointing to something new. Pentecost, particularly, was the the Sabbath of all Sabbaths. It was the super Sabbath. It was the super eight-day Sabbath. After celebrating seven weeks and seven sevens, then you have this 50th day. It actually follows right along as well with the idea of the Jubilee year. The Jubilee year, every, every seven years, the Israelites, when they went in to take the land, they were to give the land a rest, a Sabbath rest on the seventh year. And then after seven sevens, after seven seven-year periods, there would be a 50th year, and that would be the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee was, was a, a year not only a day of rest, but a day of forgiveness of all debts, um, all slaves released that, that were bound and set back into their places of freedom. It was a, it was a year of Jubilee. It was a year of great celebration and, um, and liberty. So these seven sevens leading up to a super Sabbath, a, an eighth-day Sabbath, a pointing to a new creation, are, is, is a declaration that our sins are forgiven, that we are set free by the grace of God, that we are set free by the gift of God through Jesus Christ administered by the Holy Spirit. Now, Old Covenant believers, scribes who understood the times, understood there was something special being pointed to in Pentecost beyond just the fact that it was another harvest. There was something about the seven sevens. It was connected to the jubilee year with seven sevens again. And there was, there was something to be enjoyed and anticipated about a 50th. Jesus is raised on the first day of the week. He is raised on the super Sabbath. He is raised on the eighth day. And, and from that time, we, there, there has been the Lord's Day celebration that has taken place on every first day of the week. That has become the, the tradition and the practice of the church. You see it in, from, from, the, from the New Testament days on. It's, it's a celebration of Pentecost. It's a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. It's the celebration of our jubilee, our sins forgiven and, our set, and, and being set free. It's also pressing us to always think that we are, grow, we are being pressed out into the new creation, into the new world. We are the new humanity. We are the ones who are going out into the world and changing the world by means of the work of the Holy Spirit in and through us. So that's the word Pentecost. It is, it's, it's, it's the gospel itself. It's the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. It's freedom and forgiveness of sins. It's ours. It's yours in Jesus Christ. As I said, it was also called the Feast of the Harvest. And it's called the Feast of the Harvest in Exodus 23 because it was a festival where every faithful Jew would travel to Jerusalem, at least the head of household, if not the whole family, and present the first fruits of the grain harvest there. Those first fruits represented the entire harvest that God was giving his people all over the world. It was a tithe of sorts. And so you came, you, you came on Pentecost and you came um, with, your, uh, with, with these first fruits and you offered them up to the Lord with thanksgiving for all the harvest, knowing that a greater harvest was still to be completely uh, brought forth. And so you, you have all these people from all over the world um, who were faithful Jews coming to Jerusalem with their tithes with their, with their first fruits to celebrate before the Lord the, the harvest of the entire world. So at Pentecost, where the Holy Spirit was poured out, it says uh, in, in Acts chapter 2 verse 5, that there were devout men from every nation under heaven. Because of the dispersion in the, in the uh, 
uh, exiles of, of Assyria and, and Babylon, Jews were spread out all over many nations. And, and they spoke in, those, in the languages, after being there for generations, in the languages of those people. They didn't necessarily speak Aramaic or Hebrew. And so when they, came to, when they came to celebrate at Pentecost, they came representing all of these tribes, tongues, and nations. And, 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 and uh, Luke records to us that the, these were devout men from every nation under heaven. And on that day, there were 3,000 souls saved, Acts 2.41. But that was just the first fruits, just like the, just like the grain offering. It was just the beginning of the great world harvest. So all these activities that are taking, all these actions that are taking place in the celebration of Pentecost are an active prophecy that Jesus Christ has come, that his spirit is being poured out, and that while 3,000 souls were saved that day, it was just the beginning of the great world harvest. In fact, the very next verses say that um, day after day, as, as the apostles preached, that there were, there were more souls added every day as they, as they kept on preaching. And so it is a, uh, a promise that the first fruits, well, the first fruits were a promise and a sign of a greater harvest over all the world. Remember, Abraham had been promised that through him and through his seed, all nations would be blessed. All the nations, all the families of the earth would be blessed, Genesis 12. And then in the book of Revelation, looking at the heavenly kingdom in Revelation 7, it says, after these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could number, not 3,000 but a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And so this is the gospel. To, to, be, to have the Holy Spirit poured out on you means that you have been selected for the winning team. The winning team the team that will inherit the earth, the team that will spread to all nations and bring forth the salvation of every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people. You are part of the winning team. What about this 3,000? There's some interesting things to think about this. this these other facets of Pentecost. 3,000 are saved that day. Why are we told that? Well, because 3,000 were saved that day, right? Right. Should we move on? Is there something else to see there? 3,000, and, and what happened during the time of Pentecost? Well, 3,000, I think 3,000 souls saved is a sign of a reversal of a previous judgment. The Feast of Weeks was celebrated in remembrance of God establishing his covenant with his people after them, them bringing them out of Egypt. So Passover takes place. Celebration of Passover every year takes place, remembering that you were, you were delivered out of Egypt. Fifty days later, there's the celebration of Pentecost, where you as a people, having crossed through the Red Sea, came to Mount Sinai and received the word, the law of God. Okay, now you've received the word of the law of God, and so every Pentecost, remember, you, in, at, at the time of Jesus, nobody has Bibles, there are only copies of scrolls in, in synagogues. And so every, every Pentecost, when you get together, they would open up the scrolls and they would read the law of God again. So Pentecost was associated with the giving of the law. Okay. Well, what happened that day at, at Mount Sinai when the law was given? When, when, when uh, Moses came down from the mountain with the, with the tablets the first time. And he saw the people worshiping the golden calf. And he throws down... The, uh, he throws down the, the stones and they, and they break because God's covenant has been broken by the people. 
And then he calls, uh, then he calls on the priests or, or, or those, I can't remember, the priests or soldiers, calls on them to go and, and, and begin to slay many of the Hebrews, many of the Israelites. 3,000, we are told, 3,000 people died to their idolatrous worship of the golden calf, we're told explicitly in Exodus 32. 3,000 died on that, day of, uh, on that day at Mount Sinai. And on Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out and the grace of God comes forth, 3,000 souls are saved that day. Joshua would then, in the next generation, establish what looks like the Feast of Weeks, this practice of Pentecost, with another giving of the law once they, once they got into the land. That's in Joshua 8, 30, 35. And so Pentecost became a time when the law was regularly read to the people. Later, God promised that the people, the people that the Spirit would come and write the law of God, but he would write it on their hearts, and he would write it to all the people. Everyone, he says, everyone will know me from the least to the greatest, referring to the fact that we, are, we no longer need the mediator of the priesthood, but now when the law comes by the Holy Spirit written on our hearts, it happens directly through Jesus Christ by means of the Holy Spirit to each individual believer. And that's what happens at, at Pentecost as the Spirit pours out. When the Holy Spirit was given at Pentecost, then 3,000 souls were saved, and the Word of God sealed their hearts by means of the Spirit. And what this means with regard to the gospel for you is that God's Word is made true to you. Here's what you celebrate on Pentecost. You hear the gospel. You hear that Jesus Christ died to save sinners. You recognize that you are one of them. And you recognize that but for the grace of God, there is no opportunity, no possibility that you ever could be right with God. And you hear the horrible news that there's no priesthood anymore to, to keep a protection between you and, and, and the glory of God. And you, you realize you're going to be brought into the presence of a holy God and you're going to have to stand on that day of judgment be, and, and, and give account for yourself. And you realize, you hear the gospel, Jesus Christ died for people like you, and you fall upon the mercy and grace of Jesus, and you believe that he died for your sins, and by means of the Holy Spirit, you're granted a new heart, and God's word is written, God's law is written on your heart, your conscience is made new, and you begin walking by the Spirit as a new man in Christ. That's the glory of Pentecost. It's, it's the application of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to you. To you, to all who would call upon the name of the Lord. To all who would call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's one of the glorious facets of Pentecost. In, in, in Acts 2, it says this interesting thing. It says, then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire. One sat upon each of them, uh, each one of the apostles. And um, the King James translates it cloven. These cloven or divided tongues um, were sitting upon the, the apostles as then they spoke in these distinct languages of the people from all these different lands, um, telling forth the wonderful works of God. Well, this is another reversal that's taking place. It's another reversal of another judgment. In Genesis 10, we're given the table of nations. Seventy nations are declared um, in, in, in Genesis chapter 10. And then we're told in Genesis 11 about these 70 nations coming together and trying to build one city and a tower that they, would, that they claimed would be a tower that would lift them up to God. They, they would, of their own accord, be able to get to God, get to heaven in essence. God comes down and judges their, their arrogance, judges them in their sin, and scatters them by means of giving them all distinct tongues, distinct languages, so they couldn't understand one another anymore. 
And so that day, these 70 nations receive all of these different languages, and, and in judgment, they are spread out all across the world. In Genesis 12, in the very next chapter, Abraham is promised that through him, so this one nation under Abraham is promised that through him, all of the nations are going to be blessed. And, and then, um, some of those nations then are gathered together at Pentecost, A.D. 30. And it says, when this sound occurred, everyone heard them speak in his own language. See, the tongues were not, were not just simple, simply some kind of a babble going on of some sort. It was actually distinct languages that the Holy Spirit was giving and granting to the apostles to be able to speak to everyone in the language that they understood. For, and, and that's why you have this cloven or divided tongues, because you had, you, the gospel came to all tongues. The gospel came to all languages. And what were they speaking? Well, in Acts 2.11, it says, they were, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. The spread of the good news of Jesus Christ to all nations in all languages had begun. We continue that work today. We continue that work today, particularly in the work of Bible translation and, and of getting uh, that Bible translated into all, all tongues so that people can hear the, the gospel. The spread of the good news of Jesus Christ had begun, and the first fruits were brought in by the preaching of Peter and offered to the Lord in baptism. So they are, they are preached to, they say, what shall we do? And, and he says, be, uh, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus um, for the remission of your sins. So this is, this is what uh, happens on that, that Pentecostal day. What happens is the nations who had been divided and were at enmity with one another, and nations today, people groups today, are still at enmity with one another when they're not in submission to the work of the Holy Spirit, when they're not in, in, in submission to the work of Jesus Christ. Families are at enmity with one another when they're not in submission to the work of the Holy Spirit, when they're not in submission to the one... They're not able to forgive one another because they have not been given and are not walking in the grace of forgiveness themselves. The, the work of, of God's spirit that says, your sins are forgiven, you're clean, you're free. That's what gives us the ability to say to one another, your sins are forgiven, you're free, it's over. That, that's the only way, the way that we can do that kind of thing, is by means of the work of the Holy Spirit. And that's what binds families together. That's what binds then nations together. That's what binds different ethnicities together. It's the work of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. It's not the work of the United Nations. It's not the work of laws. It's not the work of, of some kind of cry for justice. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we're told, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, um, that, that talking about this peace that reconciles Jew and Gentile, and, and therefore all nations, listen to Ephesians chapter 2. For he himself, Jesus, is our peace. That's where our peace is. He himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is, the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, Jew and Gentile, thus making peace, and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross. How? Through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are afar off and to those who are near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. That's how we have unity. That's how we have peace. That's how we have rec reconciliation, by one spirit, the spirit that was poured out at Pentecost. Later, in Ephesians 4, Paul will say this, there is one body 
and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. And so the gospel is not only your reconciliation individually to God, but the reconciliation of nations to God and the reconciliation of men to one another. The work of the gospel is truly the reconciliation of the world through and to Jesus Christ. When the Spirit came on Pentecost, it said there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. There was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. And then there were tongues of fire. So turn and look at this facet for just a moment. God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus 3. God led Israel out of Egypt with a pillar of cloud and fire. We're told this in Exodus 13. Um, And when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, it was amid thunderings and lightnings and loud trumpets and smoke and fire by which the Lord descended in Exodus 19. People were so afraid, um, God, you know, Moses said, keep them away, don't let them come. And the people were shaking with fear. And Moses went up. They didn't know what was going to happen to him because of this, this incredible spectacle of thunderings and lightnings and clashes and trumpet sounds. It was the presence of God. It was the presence of God's spirit. It was the Shekinah glory. And the Shekinah glory, the pillar of cloud and fire, would follow the Israelites through the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. That, that pillar of cloud by day and fire by night would, would rest. And when it would rest, the people would rest there. When it would get up and go, then the people would follow, and follow that Shekinah glory. They were being led by the spirit. John the Baptist then said that Jesus would come and baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. John 3.16, or I'm sorry, Luke 3.16. And John the Apostle records that the Holy Spirit blows like the wind. Listen to John 3. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. It's the work of God and work of God alone. God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes, wherever He wishes. But when He comes... When he comes, he has his way with those upon whom he comes. Peter, then explaining that that outpouring of the Spirit that day, was in fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. So I'm going to pick up a portion of of, uh, Acts chapter 2 again. In, in verse 17, he, uh, in verse 17, we have a quotation that, that Peter has of Joel's prophecy. This, this was a fulfillment that this God's Spirit would be poured out upon them. Listen to verses 17 and 18. And it shall come to pass in the last days, said God, that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my Spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Um, Peter says, this is that day. This is that day when Pentecost came. And at the end of the old creation, um, that the, the end, this was also a prophecy that the, end, uh, the old creation had come. In verse 19 and 20, And I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the, great, before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. We saw last week, actually, as we talked about um, the Ascension Day and, um, and the, 
the, the work of God's judgment upon Israel in AD 70, that the, this, the picture, the prophecies throughout Scripture of sun going dark, of the moon going red, of stars falling out of the sky was a declaration of judgment upon a nation. This was already being declared then in Joel's prophecy to Jerusalem. But it was not just the end of the old creation and judgment of the old, it was the beginning of the new, it was the declaration of the new. For he says, going on in verse 21, and it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's a wonderful verse to think about. Joel being quoted is in Hebrew, and that word there is Yahweh. Whoever calls in the name of Yahweh shall be saved. When um, several times, Book of Romans, for instance, it being being alluded uh, alluded to, but not quoted directly, it says that all who believe in the name of the Lord Jesus, all who believe in Jesus, confess the name of Jesus will be saved. Jesus is Jehovah. Jesus is God. That was what was being also declared um, by the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. So, Consider this also. At the first creation, the Spirit hovered over the waters and God spoke. Now, the Spirit hovered over the apostles of the new humanity and by His Spirit, they spoke. These fiery tongues both declared the mighty works of God's salvation, but also as a sign of judgment. And so the sign of judgment, he picks up in verse, I'm picking up verse 23. Um, uh, speaking of, of Jesus, he says, Him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death, whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And so he was raised, um, raised by God against the will and the desire of those who had put him to death, but exactly according to God's, um, God's promised determination. It would be a sign of judgment when Jesus ascended to the throne, coming to the clouds to the Ancient of Days, and taking control, taking authority over all the nations of the earth. Isaiah and Jeremiah both had prophesied that since, that, that since Israel would not listen to God's words in their tongue, they would hear stammering tongues of the foreign nations coming upon them in judgment. You won't listen to my prophets who come and speak in my language. Both Jeremiah and, uh, and Isaiah would say, then I will send those with foreign tongues, then they will walk your streets, and when they walk your streets, you won't understand what they say. And that will be a sign to you of your destruction. That will be a sign to you of my judgment upon you. In Isaiah 28, for with stammering lips and another tongue, he will speak to this people. In Jeremiah 5.15, behold, I bring a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, says the Lord. It is a mighty nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. But Jeremiah would go on and say, but understand what I say to you. That will be the sign of your judgment. That will be the sign that it's all coming down upon you. So this, this glorious day of Pentecost is the promise of God's, of, of God's saving work to go to all nations all over the world. And at the same time, a declaration of judgment for all who would not believe, who all would stand, all, any who would stand in, um, against God in any rebellion. Later, Paul would clarify that tongues were not primarily messages for believers, but words of judgment to unbelieving covenant members. In explaining tongues and the use of tongues in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul makes very clear, therefore tongues are for a sign. He's thinking back to the words of Jeremiah and Isaiah. 
He's, th he's thinking back and forward to what he knows is coming in his generation because Jesus said it would. And that would be the destruction of the temple and the end of the city and the old covenant administration. It was all coming to an end. And Paul says, that's why tongues are happening right now. The tongues are a sign, not for believers, but to unbelievers. It's a sign of warning. It's a sign of last chance warning to, to come and bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. So, this is the gospel also at Pentecost. It's, it's a simple gospel. Jesus is Lord, come quietly. Jesus is Lord, surrender now. Jesus is Lord, receive grace and forgiveness and life and eternity. Now, why would you, why would you not? Are you going to try to build your tower to heaven yourself? By your own works? Are you going to try to outthink God when, when you cannot do anything that isn't according to his predetermined plan beforehand? Are you going to try to get out of his foreordination? Good luck with that. Are, are, you, are, you, are you going to go try to argue with God that, he is, that he's not fair? You're, you're going to argue with the one who is just, who is righteousness himself, and, to, and tell him that you know better? This is, this, here's, here's the gospel. There is a number of different ways to, to preach the gospel. Here's one of them. Give it up. Just, just give it up. Come quietly. He's good, and he's righteous, and he's just. And you don't want to be anywhere except under the umbrella of his grace and forgiving love. You don't want to be anywhere on that final day of judgment, but under his grace and forgiving love. And if you are, it's not just that you'll, you'd be removed from judgment. It's all about further up and further in. It's all about growing more and more in that grace, growing more and more in the work of the Spirit in you, growing more and more in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, the fruit of the Spirit. Who wants that? Who wouldn't want that? That's the gospel. And so come quietly. Come quietly and receive all that Jesus has offered through his Holy Spirit. And then finally, there's one more facet I want you to notice. It's Pentecost and the leaven feast. We serve leavened bread at the table, and here's the reason why. There are distinctions between Passover and Pentecost that are important. The bread at Passover was the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, it says, Deuteronomy 16. There was no time to leaven the bread. And so you would get rid of all the leaven because that was getting rid of all the effect of Egypt upon you. Clean the house of the leaven and then, and then you had unleavened bread because we're making bread quickly and going in haste. And so the Passover, uh, the Passover meal that was celebrated was always a, 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 a reenactment re in essence of that same activity. Get rid of the leaven. You actually had to get rid of the leaven from your house for seven days in preparation. And then you made unleavened bread um, and served unleavened bread at Passover. Passover was the end of the barley harvest, and a sheaf of the harvest was waved before the Lord at pass in the Passover celebration. The bread was made in haste after the grain had been waved, and then it was eaten, um, and it was made without leaven. Pentecost, on the other hand, was where the new grain offering, this was a wheat uh, harvest, the new grain offering was given, and rather than the sheaves, two loaves of leavened bread were waved before the Lord. This is described for us in Leviticus 23. Two loaves of leavened bread. These loaves were made of the finest flour with leaven. And all three sacrifices, the sin offering, the ascension offering, and the peace offerings, were made on that day. Only the Lord, um, uh, only the priest partook of the sin offering. And only the Lord ate the ascension or the whole burnt offering. But when it came to the peace offering, the third offering that was made, the peace offering was partaken of by all members of 
um, of the covenant community. So the priest took part of it. The Lord, you understood, took part of it with you. And, and the one who had been offering the sacrifice also partook. And so Pentecost included a feast of a sacrificed animal, unleavened bread, and wine, and was a picture of the communal meal with God and his people in peace. And this is just the glorious thing about the gospel. The gospel is this, you're, you being at peace with God. And every Lord's Day, when we come to the table, every Lord's Day, when we come to the table, it's that reminder. You are at peace with God. Not because you've done a great job, ever, but because he is doing a great work in you. You're at peace with God. So there are many facets of Pentecost, new and old, together in the House of Treasures. And just as every Lord's Day is a celebration of the resurrection, so every Lord's Day is also a celebration of Pentecost, the outpouring and work of the Holy Spirit upon the nations of the world. We're all summoned here to this mountain that quakes with a greater noise and fire than Mount Sinai. We're told that in Hebrews 12, a far, a far more fearful mountain that we've come to. Here, by means of the Holy Spirit, God's word is spoken and written upon our hearts. And by means of the Holy Spirit, for you, by means of the Holy Spirit, for you, we partake of Jesus, the one who was sacrificed for our sins and has granted us new life as we partake by faith of leavened bread and wine. And then we are sent out into the world like leaven put in a lump of dough until it was all leavened. Isaac Watts' hymn, Joy to the World, our Christmas hymn that we sing all the time. Isaac Watts' hymn, Joy to the World, is not a Christmas song. We can sing it at Christmas. He, he didn't write it as a Christmas song. It's, it, it, uh, Isaac Watts wrote, um, uh, like Gudamel, I, uh, Isaac Watts wrote um, a, a, a hymn for every psalm of the 150 psalms. He wrote them in a paraphrase version, not a, not there, so there, there's allusions to the psalms. Joy to the World is Psalm 98. Joy to the world is an allusion or a paraphrase of Psalm 98. And so I think that it's interesting because I actually think that Joy to the World is more of a Pentecostal hymn than it is a Christmas hymn. It begins, Joy to the world, the Lord is come, let earth receive her king. And, and that, of course, is why it, we, we place it and sing it at Christmas. Fine. But it also speaks of his ascension. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and wonders of his love. Ascension day. And then Pentecost. No more let sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. And so joy to the world. For the Lord has come in the person of the Holy Spirit to bring the blessings of salvation in the name of Jesus, far as the curse is found. Guess what we're going to sing? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your plan to bring salvation to the world through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, his ascension, and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon all nations. Father, let every mind and heart now hear the gospel that Jesus Christ came and died for sinners, that he came to make peace with man, with mankind, that he came to take our shame and guilt upon himself, that he rose from the dead as our justification, that he sits at your right hand and rules all of the nations, that we all will be gathered and sheep and goats will be separated, and that you will receive all the glory forever and ever. Let every heart and mind hear this, respond in faith. Father, we long to see this powerful work of God more and more in our nation 
among our families and in this generation. Do so, we plead with you, do so to the glory of your name and the name of Jesus our Lord. And amen.